0: Helping people change their habits in order to change their health is one of the main mechanisms that makes occupational therapy effective. But I just don't think we spend enough time thinking about how hard it is to change our habits. The article that we are looking at today focuses on changing lifestyle habits for adults at high risk of a cardiovascular incident, like a stroke. The author's aim is to conceptualize how engaging occupations can be used to facilitate health promotion. And we are going to use this article today as a jumping off point to discuss both habit formation and lifestyle medicine with our guest, Ryan Osel. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles. Then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into lifestyle medicine with Ryan Osel, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. To earn CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence based practice platform. And to sign up for this club, it is currently just $79 to join. We do have a price raise coming, so if you've been thinking about it, this is definitely the time to join us in there. But bearing in mind that this could count as a CEU course, I wanted to state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first learning objective is that you will be able to describe how occupation can be used to influence Lifestyle habits and thereby limit health risks. And our second learning objective is that you will be able to identify intersections of lifestyle medicine and OT. So let's begin by looking at our journal article, and then we'll bring on Ryan Osel to discuss how these concepts can play out in your practice. So the article that we're looking at today is called Weaving Lifestyle Habits Complex Pathways to Health for Persons at Risk for Stroke. It comes to us from the Scandinavian Journal of Occupational Therapy, and it was published in the year 2020. So the article begins with this introduction to what we already know about lifestyle habits and the risk of stroke. So lifestyle habits constitute many of the known risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Think of things like poor diet, lack of exercise, and smoking. But even though these risk factors are widely known both by health professionals and the patients themselves, we find that patients have reported that they are unsure how to put preventative measures into practice. So this idea of promoting healthy lifestyle habits is of great importance to helping the world prevent and manage many of our major public health diseases. But unfortunately to date, one of the things that has not been studied as a means of health promotion is the use of engaging occupation. And this kind of leads us into the next section of the article where they talk about the potential of using engaging occupation and promoting healthy lifestyle habits. So the authors argue that an important part of promoting lifestyle habits could be using engaging occupations. And in particular, they cite past research that describes quote-unquote, engaging occupations is having the following characteristics. They say that engaging occupations are five things. One, they're infused with positive meaning. Two, they involve an intense sense of participation. Three, they are integrated into people's daily lives. Four, they are carried out regularly. And five, they are characterized by a just-right challenge. The authors state that all of these qualities are recognized as an important part of behavior modification. But even though engaging occupations seems to have promise in promoting healthy habits, research around this has been lacking, which leads us to the intent of this paper. The aim of this study was to explore the impact of participating in engaging occupations for individuals at risk of cardiovascular disease by drawing on their experiences after participating in an occupation-focused stroke prevention program, which was called Make My Day. Before we look at their particular methods, I want to tell you a little bit about the prevention program, Make My Day, which I love the name of. So Make My Day is a stroke prevention program for people who have experienced a TIA. And the program consisted of group sessions focused on learning about stroke risks and preventative lifestyle habits. It did also include some individual support. The program ran for 11 weeks, an OT, a PT, and a dietitian were involved. And the group also had support from a mobile app that helped them monitor their lifestyle habits. So who participated in this study? The study included six participants, two men and four women. They were between 59 and 79 years old, and they had all had a TIA 1 to 15 months prior. They scored between a 2 and a 5 on the stroke risk scorecard. So what were their methods for exploring the impact of engaging occupations? The authors used a method called grounded theory research to analyze the interviews from the participants. 17 in-depth interviews were conducted by one of the authors, and the first interview took place right after Make My Day had ended for the participants, and two more interviews took place over a 12-month period. So in total, there were three interviews per participant with just one interview being missed. That's how we got to the number 17. The data from these interviews was analyzed using something called a constant comparative method. And this method involves coding excerpts of raw data from the interviews into groups according to the attributes, then organizing them in such a way to form a new theory, which grounded theory research and constant comparative method are both super interesting and might be worth just a separate Google for you to learn more about these. And I think there's some nice visuals out there for seeing how the constant comparative method works. So, what were the results from their analysis? So, from analyzing the data from the interviews, the authors found one core metaphor, three main categories, and six subcategories. The authors also stated that the analysis showed how behavior change and lifestyle habits can be promoted through engaging occupations. So, this core metaphor that they found, they called it weaving lifestyle habits. They said that promoting lifestyle habits is a complex process and there are multiple interconnected factors. And they actually put forth this hand-drawn image of a weave that you can both find in the original article and I'll link to in the club. But for our purposes, if you can imagine all these different threads that are distinct but interconnected and layered over each other and around this weave, they have words like social conditions, financial resources, environment, skills, supports, just to show how all of those things intersect and connect with each other when forming lifestyle habits. So from this overarching metaphor of weaving lifestyle habits, three main categories emerged. I'm going to go over these briefly, but then refer you to the article to read the subcategories, which build on these main categories. So category one of the three is awareness of health, occupation, and risk factors. The authors say that a theme emerged from the analysis that an important part of habit change was becoming aware of their current health status and how certain daily habits contributed to risk factors. For example, tracking their habits in this mobile health app made them aware of their exercise habits or the lack thereof sometimes of exercise habits. But also on the other hand, identifying the daily occupations that they found engaging presented enjoyable opportunities for health promotion, like enjoyable physical activity or playing with grandchildren. However, there were definitely barriers to these engaging activities, which leads us to category number two, which is called Conditioned Pathways to Health. The authors found there are just these powerful factors that condition the pathway to health for individuals, and the participants talked about internal motivators, and these were this vision for healthy aging, but also a fear of ill health. But digging a little deeper on these internal motivators, they said that they often seem too abstract to actually modify their daily habits. So for the participants, it was important to have tangible short-term rewards, like the happiness associated with an engaging occupation. External factors were also identified as being essential to performing engaging occupations. And these included social support, an accessible environment, and financial resources. Hence, these internal and external factors condition the pathway to either health or ill health, or somewhere in between. And category number three was changing ways of doing through experience. The participants said that after increasing their awareness of their habits and the factors that influence them came the work of making practical changes to their days. For the participants, this meant practicing game or exercise, limiting cigarettes and alcohol, and things of that nature. Disruptions to the habits came and had to be actively managed. The participants did express that a new habit that was not yet part of their identity was more easily disrupted. So part of the key seemed to be actively pursuing a new habit until it felt like it just became part of who they were. So heading into the discussion part of this paper, the authors highlighted that there were multiple ways that this study aligned with other research on lifestyle habits. One of the ways that stood out to me was the authors highlighted the congruence between a recently published book that was called Illuminating the Dark Side of Occupation. And in the book, a participant articulates the belief that even if a personal change is made for a short period, It is often not sustainable over time if the environment and the social context is not changed in order to support it. Another dilemma that was highlighted by both this study and the book that I just mentioned is that there are just certainly habits that are engaging and rewarding, but they are not health-promoting, like smoking or binge-watching TV. And awareness alone is simply not enough to change these habits oftentimes, And what is needed is an equally purposeful and rewarding replacement. So final conclusions from the authors, they stated that weaving lifestyle habits was perceived as a continuous and complex process, that there are many interdependent components to habit change and health literacy, awareness of one's personal habits and interests, and actually experiencing participation in engaging occupations were key facilitators especially when these are paired with a supportive social and environmental context. And their final big takeaway was that health interventions for people at risk of stroke could benefit from using experiential and practical approaches to enhance health literacy and participation in health-promoting occupations. So this article felt very cerebral for me and I'm so thankful to be having our guests on today just to talk about what all this looks like in practical terms and also to help link it to this broader umbrella of lifestyle medicine. I think just from hearing this article description, you can hear all the ways where OTs are so equipped to be thinking about lifestyle habits and lifestyle medicine, but I do think there are some dots that need to be connected, and I'm so thankful that Ryan is here today to help us do this. Ryan Osel is a practicing occupational therapist in Wellington, New Zealand. He has worked in various settings, home health, rehabilitation centers, early intervention, outpatient, workplace wellness, and academia. Ryan received his doctorate of occupational therapy here in the U.S. from Boston University. He was a lecturer and mentor for doctoral students doing research projects focused on health and wellness, primary care, lifestyle modification, and behavioral economics at Slippery Rock University and the University of Central Arkansas. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to plug Ryan into this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. It's great to have you. Thank you, Sarah. Kia I'm so thankful to be talking about this topic with you today. I feel like so much of what I've learned as an OT has kind of prepared me to learn about lifestyle medicine, but... I think there's a lot of connections, at least for me, yet to be made, and so I'm excited to talk through those. But before we get going, you are from New Zealand, and a way to open a meeting there is the Karakia, and I was wondering if yes. you could start us off in that way.
1: Yes. Thank you, Sarah. Pakatakatehu ke uro, tunga, kina ki uta he the wind swings to the west in turns to the south settles down making it prickly cold inland making it pursingly cold at sea the glowing morning will rise on ice on snow on frost join Gather, intertwine, hmm. thank you, Sarah.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Ryan. I just said that you are from New Zealand, but you actually have a longer story than that. And that's where I wanted <laughs> to get started was just to learn a little bit about you and how you found occupational therapy
1: so I was in back in the Philippines, I was intrigued with our neighbor who was wearing an all-white university uniform. And I asked my mom what kind of job he was doing. And my mom said, like, oh, he's an occupational therapy student. And I went to my elementary school library and read some books about OT. I also searched online about OT and I was so obsessed then. And my relatives and high school teachers were telling me to pursue physiotherapy or PT at the time, but I was really focused on pursuing OT. And that's, how I found OT and I've been working OT in the Philippines and I moved in the USA, lived there for 10 years, two months, and then moved here in Aotearoa, New Zealand.
0: Hmm. Did you get, or I think I saw on your bio that you were at Boston then too, did you get a continued OT degree there or what was that part of your journey? Yes.
1: Yes, that was part of my journey. So I was working as an OT there and I enrolled to the hybrid program for a post-professional doctor of OT at Boston University. And the reason why I chose Boston because they have a high focus in primary care and health and wellness. So that was one of my research doctoral projects was on type 2 diabetes and OT and lifestyle management.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I can see lots of people listening to this and being curious about practicing OT in different countries. I can see that being a frequent question that you get, because I get that question a lot, transferring our degree to different places. But what I want to focus on is, you just mentioned this a little bit, but I'm curious how you discovered lifestyle medicine within your OT journey.
1: Yes, so around twenty sixteen, I was actually looking for a health and wellness coaching program because I want to expand my toolboxes and OT. Mm-hmm. In the, this is in the US, and while I was doing Google search, I stumbled upon lifestyle medicine. And I yeah I read about it but I did pursue the health and wellness coaching program but I still you know continually reading articles um, research about lifestyle medicine and following social media posts of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So yeah that's how I I was able to stumble upon lifestyle medicine.
0: Hmm. Well, I can't believe it was from a Google search. They do the American is it the American College of Lifestyle Medicine? They do yes. have a very robust online mm-hmm. presence. I'm always very impressed <laughs> when I see it. I feel like OT could learn some things from that for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: What do you feel like drew you to it? Did it align with what you were interested in or nudge you in a new way when yes. you first were drawn to it?
1: Yes, I was so I was I'm always interested with health and wellness. So you know I was working with my clients, adults clients and senior clients and I just found that I'm just not giving for me Person, the best OT that I can be because they're just repeating, like going to the hospital, going back to our rehab center, going home and hospital, there's like a cycle. So I was thinking that there's something like a gap probably in that cycle that mm-hmm. I can, you know, if they're open and health behavior, they're ready to make a change. So that's why I you know, expanded to the health and wellness coaching program and, you know, incorporating also the principles of lifestyle medicine, and it's very sustainable as well to the OT practice. You don't have to, you know, to full practice of lifestyle medicine. We can incorporate bits and pieces of it to an OT practice, you know, whatever your setting is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how you would have gotten started as you were working in this traditional setting. Is that yes. right? And then you were just incorporating some of what you were learning from your Google searches, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's really correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of, at least OTs here in the U.S., that is how we have to get started because our healthcare system is so reactive and we have to work within that to mm-hmm. incorporate anything that's health promotion, or at least that's how we get started, mm-hmm. is by incorporating that in those traditional settings. So that's how you found OT. That's how you found lifestyle medicine. Can you tell us just a little bit about your practice today in New Zealand and how you're using those principles?
1: Yes, I am currently working in a workplace wellness program here. So my focus is returning the clients to their work or if they're already working, if they're returning, making sure that it's a safe manner of returning to work. So I you know I go to my clients' work settings or in a clinic base and do an assessment of a return to work assessment and what are their struggles and what are their strengths and how I can support them. And after the assessment, I do a recommendation to other healthcare providers, whether it's a dietitian, a health psychologist, a physiotherapist, hand therapist, and a varied healthcare providers. So it's very multidisciplinary teamwork. And I monitor, I follow up with my clients and the healthcare providers almost every week to ensure that we are in the same goal, same focus towards returning the client to work, which is meaningful for them. And also making sure that when they're already at work, there's making a sustainable health and wellness maintenance as well. Hmm. And then incorporating the lifestyle medicine principles is through collaboration with multidisciplinary team like dietitian, physiotherapists, hand therapists. And also I also educate the client and empower them about the link between a healthy lifestyle and being able to maintain their work and not just their work, it also impacts their daily life. So like food and nutrition, general guidelines, and then referral to our dietitian, And then the physical activity or exercises, the importance of it, and sleep, hygiene, stress, anxiety management, and social connection, positive social relationships, and avoiding and limiting smoking and alcohol drinks and avoiding risky substances. So... You know, even if it's not a lifestyle medicine per se practice, but I was able to incorporate the principles because of my passion and lifestyle medicine. And every OT can do that, whether it's a hand therapy, a pediatric population, mental health, because it's very transferable to all settings Mm -hmm. of OT.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, that really highlights why. When I saw this topic, I kind of wanted to talk to someone who's outside of the U.S. So turning to this article that we reviewed, this Weaving Lifestyle Habits, I was curious just to get your initial impressions of it as someone who's been interested in this area. Yeah, what were your takeaways from it?
1: Yes. um, First, it's a good qualitative research study because it highlights the importance of meaningful health-promoting occupations. There was also an emphasis of interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary teamwork. And the focus was really to improve and sustain the health and well-being of the clients. So that was a really good journal article, I would say.
0: Mm -hmm. I love reading qualitative research where you get to Mm -hmm. kind of see what bubbles up. And it was interesting Mm -hmm. to me because the things that bubbled up were a lot of what I've read about habits, just about... The things that support them and the things that are barriers, even though it was from an OT lens, it felt like it just aligned with what I've read in popular science about habits and made me just really interested in that connection. I think as OTs, we don't use the word habits enough or think in that way explicitly, but there's so much interesting research out there about habits and writing about habits. And this article really connected that for me.
1: Yeah, it's the journal article that was from the Scandinavian Journal of OT. It can, again, it's very transferable, applicable to all countries. And it resonates us as an OT Mm because it's very holistic. Yeah. So I agree with you with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The article didn't specifically mention lifestyle medicine, but To me, it aligned with so much of our understanding of it. And I was wondering if for you, as someone who's spent more time looking at lifestyle medicine, did you feel like the article aligned with the pillars and your understanding of lifestyle medicine overall?
1: Oh, yes. So you're correct. It wasn't, lifestyle medicine wasn't mentioned in the journal article, but it did align with the pillars of lifestyle medicine, such as, you know, the focus of healthy eating, sleep, Social relationships, stress management, physical activity, and avoidance of risky substances. Although it was not focused, and highlighted the whole food plant-based eating, which is the focus of lifestyle medicine. Um, the good thing about the study was a dietitian was involved in the implementation of the mm-hmm. program. So that was a good study in a way that there's a interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary teamwork between the physiotherapist, the OT, and the dietitian.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just you said those six pillars. And like you said, you could see five of them in there without that plant-based eating. Really saw that avoidance of, is it risky substances? The focus on smoking sensation Mm -hmm. and and avoiding alcohol. Yeah, and physical activity was really highlighted. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think if they highlighted sleep much in there. That's one of the pillars. Yeah. And then the social connection just provided by that group Mm -hmm. was really strong in there too. So those are the six... Pillars of Lifestyle Medicine, we saw how that can kind of play out in this group. For OTs who are listening to this and lifestyle medicine is new to them, Mm -hmm. what do you think we as OTs can learn from lifestyle medicine?
1: As occupational therapy practitioners, we can definitely learn from the principles of practice of lifestyle medicine, which is the importance of preventive health through an evidence-based lifestyle intervention and health behavior approaches. So it is really better to empower our clients on sustainable healthy behaviors and lifestyle to prevent the development of diseases and or complications of the medical conditions. So, you know, this those are just important things that are we can learn from the LM or Lifestyle Medicine practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this article focused on stroke and I think that's such a good condition to connect to this because as soon as you have a stroke, you're right away trying to prevent the next one. And I think as OTs, sometimes that isn't top of mind for us and it's something that should be a little more top of mind and we have these easy tools that we should be thinking about and we should be bringing to our clients, maybe not those first visits as we're walking in to see a stroke patient, but as we're getting closer to discharge and thinking about follow-ups, I think it it would do a huge disservice to our clients not to be talking about this. And hopefully we're also reinforcing what they're hearing from other health professionals. Yeah, the science behind this is really compelling. And I also think that to me, the lifestyle medicine pillars, these are things that our clients are already kind of thinking about most people are thinking about like is my diet healthy am i exercising but a lot of us i would include myself need support to move towards healthier habits and that's where it's just so valuable to have a healthcare professional to help you with that
1: even with the tools that we have like in lifestyle medicine and pillars um You know, it's always important to identify how ready is the client or the patient and making change. Because even, you know, you don't just give them like, oh, this is how you do your exercise or this is from your dietitian, This is the list that you have to eat. They wouldn't do that if they're not ready to make a change. Mm -hmm. So always, always, we always start with small, like very, like even one task. So one specific example is I have a client before and he tried, um, you know, walking after, you know, during his um, work breaks and he stopped doing that and he developed, you know, like weight issue aside from his diet as well. And, you know, he's not open yet on the following the dietitian <laughs> prescription yet. So, But he's open of doing at least walking during lunch break at work. So that's how we start, like mm-hmm. once, twice a week of doing that and then monitor and then build up from that task that he is confident doing and then making it part of the habit and routines. And then when he's already open to the dietitian's recommendation, you know, we would incorporate that. So just small steps and it, you know, it builds up into that and it makes a big difference to the client's general health and wellness. So it's, it's really important to really look at the readiness of the client's health behavior. And to do that, it's also important for OT to at least have the basic, Knowledge and skills on different health behavior change approaches like mm-hmm. acceptance and commitment therapy yep. or ACT. The other one is a focused acceptance and commitment therapy, which is commonly used in the primary care settings. The other one is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And the other approach as well is MI or motivation interviewing. So you can combine all these approaches and, you know, incorporate this in your OT practice.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to link to all those in our show notes. I When you must mentioned, was it focus, acceptance, commitment therapy? Oh, like, yes. yes. Yes, that's new to me. So I'm definitely going to yeah, research the fact, that. Yeah, and,
1: focus, acceptance, and commitment therapy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so much of what we do as OTs is we're asking for behavior change. And I know for myself in the past that, I've had ideas for my clients to implement, and I think my work is to like tell them these ideas, but don't think through all the. The easy part is having the idea. The hard part is actually implementing that and changing that behavior. And I think that's an area where as OTs we have a beginning skill set and but we also have a lot to learn and a lot to, a lot of growth there and to draw from other disciplines because we are definitely not the only people thinking about behavior change. Related to that, how do you feel like OT intersects with lifestyle medicine and how is it distinct?
1: Oh, yes. So I just want to um, probably refresh um, everyone about the definition of occupational therapy from the World Federation of OT. So Occupational therapy is a client-centered health profession concerned with promoting health and well-being through occupation. The primary goal of occupational therapy is to enable people to participate in the activities of everyday life. And for the Lifestyle Medicine Global Alliance, which is the umbrella of all lifestyle medicine organizations in each country or region, so lifestyle medicine is the use of a whole food plant-predominant dietary lifestyle Regular physical activity, restorative sleep, stress management, avoidance of risky substances, and positive social connection as a primary therapeutic modality for treatment and reversal of non communicable disease. So, this shows that OT and lifestyle medicine is just like a match in heaven. That <laughs> it's, it just connects between all those meaningful health promoting occupations for our clients. So, I would definitely, you know advocate to incorporate lifestyle medicine in our daily OT practice.
0: Mm -hmm. It almost gives us like a healthy, those six pillars give us like a easy, almost checklist in our head to like think about for our clients and to have some basic skills that talking about and bringing up. And again, hopefully we're not the only health professionals talking about this. Hopefully we're reinforcing what's coming from the other circles do you think the combination of OT and lifestyle medicine, do you see it moving forward as like OTs getting certified in lifestyle medicine or just learning more about it and incorporating it? What do you see as the future pathway of that intersection?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, well, there is a certification for lifestyle medicine to become a diplomat or certified lifestyle medicine practitioner. So I'm actually doing a study on that and hopefully take the registration exam, certification exam, sorry, for next year. And the good thing about lifestyle medicine and OT right now, it's very progressing right now because some OT schools I know of in the US, they are already incorporating lifestyle medicine as elective mm-hmm. courseworks or mm-hmm. subject in their doctor of OT program. So, but it has been incorporated in medical schools already and yeah, medical schools and dietetic schools in the US and also in the, in other countries, I think in the UK as well, they're also incorporating lifestyle medicine in their other healthcare professions, like school of medicine and PA as well. So in here in New Zealand and Australia, I'm not, I haven't heard yet that they incorporate any kind of lifestyle intervention, management, modification or medicine in their OT curriculum. But, you know, it's a good start for the U.S. to have that, you know, having lifestyle medicine as an elective
0: coursework Mm -hmm. in
1: the doctor of OT program.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to have just more OTs getting curious about it. And I know our hospital systems are It's happening slowly, but we're moving more towards this phase where we're looking at population health and health promotion. And if OTs can be listening to those conversations and being a part of them, I think, yeah, that's a great way to get started for sure. So that's lifestyle medicine, how it intersects with OTs. You touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to talk about it explicitly for OTs, I'm thinking particularly here in the US where we are just kind of stuck in our current healthcare systems. What are ways that we can be incorporating these principles into our traditional practices? You gave a couple examples, but could you walk us through that a little bit more?
1: Yes. So, first of all, like I I always get a lot of questions like, "Oh, is it it's only applicable for adults or, you know, seniors or something that." No, it is applicable to all settings of OT, whether it's school-based setting, because you always promote health and in mental health setting, and you know early intervention through you know empowering the parents or the
0: mm-hmm.
1: caregivers on healthy lifestyle. So first is let's start with ourselves as an OT practitioners. It is important to lead by example. So because it is hard to, I wouldn't say hard, but it's difficult to advocate for the pillars of lifestyle medicine if you are not really practicing in it. Mm-hmm. So as an OT practitioner, start with one or two pillars that you are comfortable advocating for your client, then build up from there. So you're just, you're basically practicing lifestyle medicine to yourself. So what you are comfortable doing. And then once you're comfortable doing, like, you know, you're, oh, I'm comfortable with food and nutrition or physical activity or sleep hygiene. So, you know, you it, it gives you more um, confidence that you are really advocating for the pillars of lifestyle medicine. So, and start with one or two, you know, it, then again, don't beat yourself. You know, I wasn't able to practice it, the whole pillars of lifestyle medicine. And then the other one that I would like to talk is like specific screening tools that OTs can incorporate in And this is for adult setting primarily. The screening tools like the social support questionnaire for social connection is the social support questionnaire. So it's like a screening tool that has a six question that asks people about their life and who they can rely to get help or support. So it's called social support questionnaire. And then for physical activity or movement, there's a physical activity vital sign. And this tool is a quick screening tool that asks questions about the average time spent on physical activity. And then for the eating habits of the client, you can use the starting the conversation. So it's an eight-item instrument that asks about food frequency. And the higher the score, the worse the food habit. And of course, you refer them to a dietitian once you have that assessment. And for sleep, you can also use Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. So it's a self-rated questionnaire that assesses sleep quality and disturbances over a one-month period. And the higher the score, the worse the quality of sleep. For stress, you can use the perceived stress scale, which is a 10 item tool that, you know, perceived level of stress. And the higher numbers again, indicates higher perceived stress. And then the last one for the substance use, you can use the National Institute on Drug Abuse Quick Screen. So it's just a screens for alcohol, tobacco products, and you know prescription drugs for non-medical reasons and illegal drug use. So, And then the response is never daily and almost daily. And if that patient or the client answers yes to any of the substances, you can proceed to a a modified assist questionnaire, which is a further questionnaire for that, and refer them again to the GP or family medicine and or addiction specialist professional.
0: Ryan, these are so good and so helpful, and I feel a little baffled. I've been in OT for a decade and. Honestly, I haven't used any of these, and my familiarity with them is low. Do you think mm-hmm. I'm representative of most OTs? Do you think we're missing no, the boat, all... or like, have I been yeah. <laughs> in the dark here?
1: <laughs> no, I was actually new to all this stuff. You know, before I, you know, introduced myself, before I found before you I were stumbled upon lifestyle um, medicine. Okay, yeah. So, th- and those screening tools are quick mm-hmm. and can you can access online. So it's free. So any OTs can actually use it for adult and you know, senior settings, geriatric settings. But I'm sure there are also um, screening tools, quick screen tools for pediatric population as well. I'm just not familiar with it because I'm not practicing in a pediatric population. Mm-hmm. So yes,
0: I love screening tools like this too because they're also such great conversation starters. I think sometimes as OTs we can do assessments that are more involved and in maybe make our clients feel not as involved in the process. But I'm assuming just from hearing the names of these screening tools that they would be such great conversation starters and really patient-focused and patient-driven.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: true. Well, those are great. I'm going to link to all of those. I guess I kind of want to, when you said the social support questionnaire, I almost, I have like a little emotional reaction to that because I just think of working with older adults and Just seeing that being like a huge factor in someone's health, like, are there lots of people in the room or is this person by themselves? And that was never something that I had brought up or talked about, even though I saw that. So, I guess to zoom in on that one pillar, like, if you do that kind of screen, where does the conversation go from there?
1: Yeah. So, well, social connection is an important part of overall health and well-being of all of us, actually, as an individual. So after that social support questionnaire, it gives you like an overview of where they are in their support system and their relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it impacts their overall health as well. And through that process, you can, you know, using the health behavior approaches like CBT, MI, FACT, or ACT, or ACT, and other health behavior approaches out there, you can you know pull out some more information from the client and what are the obstacles, the barriers for the social relationship. And if that person is open of trying um, to start simple things to at least facilitate a good social connection relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's a good starting point for social relationship, positive social connection.
0: Mm-hmm. When you bring up, I'm thinking of these pillars and I'm thinking of them as all really personal, do you find when you bring up these topics that people are responsive and want to talk about them? Do you find that you get in hard conversations? Does it feel natural? What's your experience there?
1: So it is important to start first of getting to know the client. Like you don't just put the questioner right away. So we have, you know, in, for the American OT Association, we have the occupational profile, so you don't have to use, it's kind of long, but mm-hmm. you can pick up some important items in the revised occupational profile and what's applicable in your setting. Mm-hmm. And by getting to know the client on what's important to them, your their daily life, their routines, habits, and that's how you build also rapport to the client mm-hmm. by using the occupational profile. So it's a good rapport building step to the client using a person-centered profile, which is occupational profile.
0: Mm-hmm. I spoke to Vanessa Yanez earlier on the podcast, and she works with people who have had cancer. And I always think of that interview with her as someone who's really good at having these conversations with patients. And I always think, I've said this before, but I think as OTs, we are really good in at having these conversations about these personal really personal things and we're better at it than we realize. And it just feels like a practice thing to me to get more comfortable at bringing up diet and sleep and social connection. And yeah, but all those habits are so powerful and so linked to health. We're doing a disservice if we're not bringing those up for sure.
1: Yeah. And I just want to add, Sarah, as well, that since some of those pillars are kind of sensitive to some some of the clients, like for Mm -hmm. example, their diet, their of yeah eating habits especially if it pertains to weight issue and even like social connection if they have like traumatic experiences mm-hmm. it is important to ask permission first mm-hmm. to the client if they're yeah. open before you know going deeper going on that. In, Yeah. in, so, yeah so i always ask permission to the client to my clients like are you open or uncomfortable if not you know we can talk about it next time once you're ready and comfortable mm-hmm. so because I always tell them as well that I'm not here as I'm here as a collaborator, not as an expert to tell you what to do, but I'm here as for here to support with to support you through the journey and through the process.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's really helpful to hear you say that. Yeah, all of this is so interesting to me and something I think OTs, like you said, are really positioned to learn more about. If OTs wanna connect with other OTs who are having this conversation, people like you, where do we go currently, Ryan?
1: Yes. So that's a good question. Um, First is to start with your countries or regions, lifestyle medicine association. So almost all countries, almost all regions all over the world, they have their own lifestyle medicine group or association. And then to do that you can also check the website of the lifestyle medicine global alliance which is the umbrella of all the lifestyle medicine associations and groups and the other one is to network with ot practitioners and educators who are passionate in lifestyle medicine and the other tip that i can was thinking is to incorporate the lifestyle medicine principles into your workplace culture so mm. One example is when you have like a staff meeting, you know, introduce a lifestyle medicine tip to the staff, and the other one is to add more whole food plant-based items in the employees or your colleagues' pantry or kitchen. So those are just little tips that you know, small things, but because it's better to model the practice of lifestyle medicine, the pillars. When we are doing it as a healthcare practitioner and then advocating it to our clients, so mm-hmm. we are definitely a role model to, for that. So, and then also attend conferences of the lifestyle medicine. We'll, you know, depends on your country. And then also the other one is physician committee for responsible medicine. So it's a group of not just physician, but you know, PA and dietitians and other allied health professionals who are advocates for lifestyle medicine and. Also for animal rights as well, and then the other one is an international plant-based nutrition healthcare group, and they have conferences. So you can always check them online, and they have almost every year they have conferences, whether it's online or virtual or in-person conferences.
0: Mm-hmm. I loved what you said earlier too, with like starting with our own interests, and it feels like if we do that, we can. There's so many connection points, like both with our patients, our workplace, our in our community, there's so many possible connections there. Is there a specific like OT hub somewhere of OTs who are interested in lifestyle medicine or are the interests scattered? What's kind of like the OT scene right now there?
1: Yes. So for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they have, I think they have a, a special interest group. It's not specifically for OT. I think it's both physio or physical therapy and OT members who are passionate. And the nurse practitioner they also have a special interest group for lifestyle medicine. But they all they all come under the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So try to reach out to yeah. your um, country's lifestyle medicine association and they can connect you to, you know, OT practitioners who are involved in the lifestyle medicine practice and who are interested and passionate about it. So yeah, try mm-hmm. to connect with you know each country's um, lifestyle medicine association.
0: Yeah, this sounds like a fun personal challenge for me, where I'm like, I want to find all these OTs interested in <laughs> lifestyle medicine because I know they're out yeah. there for sure, and they're probably scattered across settings. Like you said, I can see OTs are interested in like primary care. There being like a high concentration of OTs interested in lifestyle medicine in certain yes, practice yes. areas, though. Too yes, I wanted to ask, to we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, where you've had this opportunity to see OT in different countries. You discovered OT in the Philippines. You worked here in the U.S. You're in New Zealand now. How has being in these different countries impacted, I guess, a two-part question, both your understanding of lifestyle medicine and of occupational therapy?
1: That's a good question. So, um, Yes, I do work in the those countries before moving to Aotearoa, New Zealand. So what I've learned through this moving process is it is always important to perform a culturally safe practice of OT and lifestyle medicine because each country, each place has its own distinct health belief system.
0: Mm.
1: And it is also vital to connect with the countries or national OT association to ensure that what you are practicing as an OT and incorporating lifestyle medicine are all appropriate to the culture and society. So always, and also reach out to your supervisors or colleagues who are local to your place and have a consult with them if what you're practicing as an OT is culturally safe and appropriate Mm -hmm. to the culture as well.
0: Could you give me an example of like, or I'm writing some stories in my head that I'd love to hear your actual example, but like a health belief difference from when you were working in the U.S. to then moving to New Zealand?
1: Yes. So the U.S. is a very diverse country as well. So we pull out different healthcare models there, like Kawa model and other healthcare models for the U.S. base. But when I moved to Aotearoa, New Zealand, we have special population here, which is the Maori population and the Pacifica population. So for Maori we use the, or we can also use it for other um, population, but primarily for Maori, we use the tifafa, tifaritipafa, which is um, the four walls of the Maori house. And that includes the physical health, the first wall, and the other wall of the house is the mental health. A third wall or the other wall of the house is the spiritual health. And then the other one is the social connection or family health. Mm. So, and that just, you know, enlightens me about, the importance of culture, and then for the Pacifica population, we have what we call Phonofali healthcare model. So it's pretty much as similar as Tifari Tipafoa, the Maori house wall model, the importance of family health or social health, physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. And it really aligns to us as an occupational therapist because we are, I would say, influenced by those You know, being a holistic approach Mm practitioners. So we are focusing on the physical health, mental health, social health, and spiritual health. But what's distinct about the population of New Zealand or the practice here is really the importance of family. Like Mm -hmm. they really, for Maori population and Pacifica population, is really a big importance of the impact of family to their own health and well-being. So when I assess a client, Identifies as a Maori or a Pacifica, I always invite the family to be in an assessment, and likely they are they're actually there, um, ten people in one room, and because that's just how important the family is in the, you know, the connection between their health and well-being and the social positive family connection.
0: Mm. Oh, those examples were so beautiful and really paints for me this richness of layering OT and lifestyle medicine and taking into account our cultural context. And I think sometimes we think of that as a challenge, but as I hear you talking, I'm like, oh, there's such richness and beauty there when we get to do that. And I love how you described it. I can't believe it, but we're to our rapid fire questions already. I was wondering if you were up for answering a Couple more quick questions about OT.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I am open.
0: How do you usually describe occupational therapy?
1: Um, well, occupational therapy for me is a science and art that connects primary disease prevention, health promotion, and chronic disease management.
0: Hmm. That's a very good lifestyle medicine answer for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what is one moment you've had in therapy that you'll never forget?
1: When I was able to empower my client with type 2 diabetes on healthy cooking and eating with collaboration from our dietitian.
0: Hmm. Cooking is always, a, I feel like that's always a favorite memory for people. That's so special when we get to do that as OT. What's something that you've read recently that has inspired you as an OT?
1: So I've been reading, the How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. He's oh. <laughs> an of medicine physician based in the U.S. and also an active member of American College of Lifestyle Medicine. The book highlights on foods to eat to add years to our meaningful life.
0: Oh, wow. What's one food I can add?
1: I would say cruciferous vegetables, <laughs> 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 broccoli, cauliflower. Yeah.
0: Is kale in that family? Yes. The absolutely. dark greens? Yeah. Okay, Kales. good. Yes. I eat a lot of kale. Yeah. I'm good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> As long as we eat like the rainbow colors of food every day, so it yeah. helps. Yeah,
0: awesome. And what do you think is the most important thing you want someone to take away from this conversation? We touched on multiple things. What's like a closing thought you want people to end with?
1: So, I would like to, you know, our colleagues, our coworkers, our other OT practitioners that always think that. Our profession is beyond the prescription of adaptive tools and pieces of equipment and you know, exercises and basic ADL. We are an evidence-based and client-centered professionals, and our focus is to promote the health and well-being of our clients. Whether it's a pediatric population, adult geriatric, hand therapy, mental health, whatever setting you are in, you know, always look at the health and well-being of our clients.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Ryan, you opened us with the Karakia, and I was wondering if you would close us that way as well. Yes, thank you.
1: Onohia, 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 Kite Tapunua, Kiawata, Kiamama, Tingaka, Titinana, Tiwairoa, Itiara Takata, Kuyara Irungo, Paka Iria, Aki kerunga, Kiatina, Tina, Huye, Taikie, Draw on, draw on. Draw on the supreme sacredness to clear, to free the heart, the body, and the spirit of mankind. Rongo suspended high above us. Draw together, affirm. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Oh, thank you, Ryan. You all, well, this conversation was so helpful to me because just really crystallized some of the ways I've been thinking about health and OT's future role in health promotion. I think that health promotion is just the way our healthcare industry is going to move. I know in the U.S. we've been slow to make that move, but talking to Ryan really helped paint a picture for me of what that could look like, how that's already happening in places around our world. And the need for us as OTs to start reconceptualizing some of what we do to be thinking about things like population health and lifestyle habits and health promotion and how we can use these skills we already have to be of service there. So there is just a lot to keep talking about on this topic. I really hope, like I said at the beginning, that you join us in the OT Potential Club. We have forums where we'll be discussing this. You can share your takeaways from this article. The club is just such a special place for conversation. And if you need a certificate for your time today, that is also where you will go to take a five question quiz and earn that CEU certificate. And as always, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.